what's up guys that that is just a taste of what the fall retreat dance is gonna be like who's been to a fall retreat before yep who's been to a fall retreat dance before oh dang guys if you've not you've not lived okay enough said show up it's gonna be good um we we are starting a series in Ephesians tonight, and what we said last week was we have these Ephesians scripture journals. So, so here's the goal of these things. It's got, it's got the scripture on one side, and it's got blank spaces for you to take notes, um, for you to process application, write down prayers, even, even read ahead of time. Um, we're, we're selling these at cost. It's like four bucks, but I just grabbed one of these. So anyone want one right now? Yeah, that was a fast hand. Nice, good catch. Um, those, are, those are out by Info Central too. Grab one and... Um, Man, I, I would love for you guys to take notes and process with us as we go through this book together. Does that sound good? Someone say yeah. yeah. All right. Hey, again, if we haven't met, I'm Nathan. I'm on staff here. Um, what we're going to do tonight is we're going to open up our Bibles and we're going we're gonna to process what God has for us. Um, as we get into this series week after week, we're going to keep unpacking the truth from different sections of Scripture. And tonight we're going to kind of tread some ground that we've been at before a little bit. We've been around the last few weeks. We just finished our foundation series. If you missed those, go online, check them out. But starting off our regular rhythm, we talked about identity, right? Someone say identity. Identity, identity is, is who you are, but in a deeper sense, it's who you think you are, right? Like if you think you're a nurse, you're going to go to your nursing classes. Or if you think you're a nurse, you're going to show up and, and you're going to like nurse people, Right? If you think you're a nurse, when, when there's someone having an emergency, it changes the lens that you view things through. You, you feel a responsibility to go show up, right? If you think you're, you're a mechanic or you're mechanically inclined, if you think you have some knowledge about cars, because there's plenty of people that don't, right? When I have issues with my car, you're like, yeah, dude, I could change that. We could pull it apart, right? I, I had a buddy who, he had never worked on, on this particular car before, but he spent like four hours on his back in the sleet, like pulling things apart at the bottom. I just didn't know. I just stood there like, you're doing great, man. He's a mechanic, right? <laughs> I am not. If, if you're an accountant, you account for things. Who you think you are shapes what you do. If you're a Hawk fan, you drink Bush Light, right? If you're a Cyclone fan, you're just used to disappointment. You don't get your hopes up, right? That's life. I'm used to it, okay? Who you think you are shapes what you do. Okay, hold, hold that idea in your mind for a second. That's, that's a very important idea we need to grab hold of. Here's, here's where that actually starts to, to hit reality for us. There are struggles in life that, that we come across where, where it feels like the answers that we have don't quite seem to be enough. Like, let me tell you about my own life. Like, um, I, I've struggled with this, um, this weird like chip on my shoulder insecurity thing for years. And sometimes that would show up as bitterness against people that, that were leading me. Other times it would, it would be just like fear in, in situations. And all the right answers, the, the theology, like I kind of would boil it down to like, all right, I just need to try harder. Like I, 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 just, need to, I just need to be, be less insecure. You know, like trying to grit my way through, discipline my way through. Maybe in your life there, there's actually a struggle with purity that has been um, deep, and it's been over the course of years, and kind of the best answer you can come up with is, I just need to try harder. We just need to set, set boundaries again. I just need to, uh, uh, and you kind of, you sort of run out of answers beyond discipline, willpower. If it's not insecurity, or if it's not a purity issue, maybe it's the way that, that you think about yourself in relation to other people. 
Maybe you actually can't walk into a room without wondering like, okay, what's, what's my status? What do these people think of me? And that, that can almost be crippling for you sometimes. And so you tell yourself like, I, I've just gotta be more outgoing. I've just gotta put myself out there. I've just gotta get, get good people in my life. But, but your disciplines and your willpower seem to, seem to run short. That's not to undermine the role discipline plays in our life, but let me tell you, there comes a point in your life where trying harder doesn't work. Here's where that connects to our idea. If we think who we think we are, our identity shapes what we do, we try to tackle it with with more do solutions. Maybe we actually need to, to deal with who we think we are. Maybe instead of more discipline or more willpower or or trying harder next time, maybe actually the answer is to find a more secure and stable identity than we have right now. Again, let me say that. Maybe the issue isn't your willpower. Maybe the issue is, is the way you view yourself, your identity. You have an identity issue, not a will issue. Maybe the way you view yourself is unclean and, and, and shameful. And so you struggle to be authentic with people because you don't know if they'll reject you for, for who you really are. Maybe your, your identity is somebody who is, who is not stable in their relationships and friendships and you feel like every relationship is on the line where you're working and working and working for people's opinions. Maybe your identity is it's just not good enough and your solution is try harder. How do we solve a deeper issue like that? If willpower, trying harder, disciplines run short, how do we solve, how do we solve an identity issue? What if there was one who actually could speak into your identity and make a difference? What if there was somebody that could actually say something more true about who you really are because they know you even in ways that you don't know yourself? Even if you're not a Christian tonight, even if you're, you're not quite sure why you go to the Bible for answers, wouldn't you want to know who you really are? And if there is a God out there who made you, who has intention and purpose for you, wouldn't you want to know what he says? For all of us, wouldn't it actually make a difference in our life if the God of the universe would just reach down and tell you, no, no, this is who you are. If who you are shapes what you do, we need to figure out who we are, and we need somebody to tell us. That's where we're going tonight in the book of Ephesians. If you got a Bible, you can, you can open it to Ephesians 1. We're, we're just going to be hitting the first 14 verses. If you don't have a Bible, get you a scripture journal. If you don't have four bucks, the verses are on the screen, and we'll get you one later. Like, but, but listen, we need to lean in together, and so this might be the kind of night where you actually turn off the phone silence it, put it on do not disturb, and just open up a a journal and and take some notes. We gotta focus in and see what God says. So so Ephesians chapter one, um, as you're flipping there, um, if the book sounds familiar, actually over the summers we went through the seven churches in Revelation, one of the letters was written to this church in Ephesus. It's in modern day Turkey, um, and and the apostle Paul planted it. If you wanna read more of this story, it's in Acts 19. Let me just open us up with the first two verses here and and even see how Paul intros this letter. He tells us, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
as Paul planted this church, we need to know a little bit of background. So, so Paul was a, a church planter who had his life radically reoriented by God. Jesus showed up and, and transformed his identity, and so he went around telling people that story, who that Jesus is. He shows up in Ephesus, and Ephesus was known, at least in our Bibles, it's known for two things, magic and mobs, okay? Magic and mobs. It was a center, this ancient center of worship for this goddess named Artemis. They had a, a massive temple, and, and people were known for coming there for magical amulets and, and, and magic books, all kinds of stuff. In fact, in Acts 19, one of the things we see is when people started coming to Jesus and rejecting that old stuff, they made a, a massive pile of these magic books and, and it was worth 50,000 silver coins. So I, I had to look that up because I'm like, 50,000 silver coins, I don't have any silver, I don't know what that means, right? Each, each coin was worth a day's labor, okay? So 50,000 days worth of work is actually 137 years worth of work. This was a culture saturated with, with seeking power and seeking help and, and seeking answers to their problems and they used to go to all kinds of other things, gods, magic, whatever, and they meet Jesus and their identity gets flipped. So they make a, a pile, again, worth 137 years worth of work and they burn it. They say, no, no, that's not who we are anymore. I said they're known for two things, magic and mobs, right? Someone say mobs. Y'all ever been part of a mob before? That was a test, okay, I hope not, right? But Here's what happened when they, when they planted this church. All of a sudden, some of the industry starts to dry up. The people selling shrines and statues, all of a sudden, they don't have as much business, and that frustrates them. And their solution to that is to rally up a crowd and go start a mob and try to start a riot against Christianity. Now, here's the tricky thing. Like, when you start a house church, you don't have a building to go to, so they go to this, this big kind of central amphitheater, and they just shout for hours about their goddess. Great is Artemis. The believers in Ephesus were in a culture saturated with magic and with a hostility against their faith. So already, again, as they're seeking their identity, they've got some real, real tough situations in life to deal with. Hostility. Maybe you've even known some hostility as you try to take your faith seriously. Hopefully not a mob, but, but people pushing back, people rejecting when you try to follow Jesus. Just another thing to note, in, in verse one he says, um, to the saints who are in Ephesus, when Paul talks to Christians, he calls, he calls us saints. It's not a special category of Christian in the Bible. It's, it's people that are made holy by Jesus. Literally, it means holy one. So, so the, the whole church, he's saying, you are holy people. He's already given them some identity language. Okay, so what is Paul going to say to these people in, in a hostile, in a harsh environment? What is he going to tell them about their identity? I'm going to read the next chunk of verses, so follow, follow with me, okay? We'll start in three. Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he's blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, 
so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. I had a reaction reading to this that you might be having right now. When I first read it and I made the teaching schedule, I, I read through it and I just went, okay, wait, what? <laughs> like, there is so much packed in there. And, and if you've got a Bible in front of you, first thing I want you to do, I want you to just look through and, and, and see if you can find any commands, any things you're told to do, any things you're told to apply. Just glance at it quickly. Even, even think through what you heard. Were there any commands given to you? No. Paul starts the first chunk, the first thing he's saying to these people is not what you can do, it's not your willpower, it's not how you can try harder. In in fact, if I were to just give you this passage and say, hey, go try to live this out, go apply it, you might be stumped. Why, why would Paul start the letter like this? Like what is Paul trying to do to people like us that, that are struggling for identity, trying to figure out who we are? As I was processing that this week, as I was trying to figure out what Paul was doing, um, I actually came across a video. Two videos, one night, you lucky people. Um, I just want to show you guys this video. Um, You don't need context. Check it out. This is what Paul's doing right here. See that little lady right there? Yo. Okay, don't worry. She was fine, right? She got some scrapes. She's alive. Um, Show me that video one more time. Now you know what you're looking for. I like that little ooh. Boom. (laughs) Okay, yeah, we had to take the sound out because the sound was mostly like, ah, right? Like, Paul is trying to do that to us. Here, here's what I'm saying. You and I are going about our lives. We're, we're kind of living one way. We're focused on one thing. And Paul is trying to sweep us off our feet, dumping this load of identity and what God has done all over us upsetting us, turning our world upside down with what God has done. Like the best thing for you and your identity tonight might actually be being completely swept off your feet. So, so buckle up. We're gonna unpack this a little bit and just, just look over a few of the phrases that Paul is using to pump us full of identity, even if that jars us, even if that dislodges where we've been finding our identity so far. This is what Paul is trying to do. So, so we'll be in three through 14, and, and maybe you heard this a little bit as I was reading it, but Paul actually talks through the Father and the Son and the Spirit. They're, they're work together in redemption, in salvation. It's this structure that, for the nerds among us, you'll love this, it's called a chiasm, okay? Someone say chiasm. chiasm. Mm, love it, okay. Chi is this, this Greek letter for, for like an X. So he's saying, we're coming in, focusing on a point in the middle. So what we're gonna do as we track through this is, is we're gonna go top and bottom and, and figure out where he's bringing us in as he's, as he's dumping this wave of identity truth over us, okay? You ready? All right, buckle up, let's go. Starting in verse three, I'm gonna read three through six. We're looking at the work of the Father in our redemption. Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. 
as I, as I tracked through this, I realized I could take every single verse and preach a whole sermon on it. I, I could, but, but we wanna walk through the scope of the whole book, so I'm gonna focus on one, one crucial thing that Paul brings up a few different times, and this, this thing might actually make you a little bit, little bit nervous, right? Paul uses language like, like he chose us in him in verse four, or, or he predestined us for adoption. He, he uses language about God choosing to love us. And again, that, that might make you, you nervous. I'm not starting a debate about theological categories like Calvinism, Arminianism. He, he's just using this word chose to talk about the kind of love God has for us. And he says he chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world. We're, we're actually gonna have a, a late night in a couple weeks after Saul on the 10th to talk through this, what the Bible says when it uses words like predestination, whatever. So if you've got kind of deep dive questions, show up on the 10th after Saul. We'll talk about it more. But, but I just wanna paint the picture for you. God is by definition outside of time, right? God is above time, he created time, and so all of human history is laid out before him, every single moment, every single molecule, every single atom, in every point of his existence is stretched out before God. He can see the beginning and the end, and it says from the beginning, he, he looked out over all of that. He looked out over what you dreamed last night, what you ate for breakfast, right? How, how your breath is right now based on that stuff, right? He, he sees every moment and he is present in every moment of it at the same time. He doesn't have to live through the cycle of time like we do. He, he sees it all. And in seeing it all, in, in looking out over the span of all of history, he looked down at, at you, Christian, and he said, I, I love them. I love them. Before you had consciousness of your existence, as he, as he stands before he created and ushered into the entire existence of the universe, he looked at you and he, he says, you know what, I love them. That's a scary thing, and, and here's, here's why. He sees you at your deepest, darkest lowest moments. If he made all of time, if he made every moment, he knows the moments that you wish he didn't. He sees them and he looks in and it says he chose before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. He, he chose, he predestined, he pre-chose to adopt us, to give us a family name that, that's his. He chose to love us. If he did that before the foundation of the world, was he looking at something in you and going like, man, they're kind of a big deal. I guess I love them. They're pretty cool, right? Like that's kind of the way we do it, right? We, we meet somebody and we respond to them. We respond to who they are in love. But if God is looking at your deepest, darkest moments, your peaks and your valleys and choosing to love you, it's actually not based, it's not based on you. It's not because he needs something from you. It's not because you could pay him back for anything. If it's not based on that, it's based on him. It's based on his character. His love is based on who he is, not who you are. And friends, that's actually really good news. If his love is based on who he is and not what you could ever do, that's a more secure and firm love than any other love you could find. If it's based on his character, which never changes, then you have nothing to fear about his, his love, 
his adoption of you drying up or running out. It's never gonna happen because he's not gonna change. Now, now again, that might provoke questions in your heart like, okay, but what about free will? I don't know how God works that out, okay? I, I don't know how a being above time that, that's involved in every moment, how he chooses to work that out, I don't get it, okay? But I know that he says he, he chooses to love us. You, you might be thinking, okay, what about the people he doesn't choose to love? I, I don't know how he chooses and selects. But what I do know is that before I knew Jesus, I didn't love God and I ran away from him. And he was allowing me to have exactly what I wanted, which was everything apart from him running far away. Maybe that's where you're at tonight. But what he, he chooses to do is just give us a little peek at how beautiful he is. He gives us a, a little peek at his love and his kindness and his goodness, and he lets us respond to that. And when you see just a little bit of how beautiful and good he is, you want him. I don't think it violates your will for him to show you that he's awesome and for you to go, man, you're awesome, right? That, doesn't, that, that actually resonates with, with how you were created, who you were created to be. Foundationally at the beginning of our identity is God's love for you based on his character and not you. In the Father, you are fully known and fully loved. Look down at verses 13 and 14. Paul finishes this chiasm section by saying, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, the good news of what Jesus accomplished and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The Father's at work and the Spirit's at work. And, and, and Paul does something really cool here. He points to the beginning of the story. He says the Father was at work over the, before the foundation of the world and the Spirit is at work guaranteeing the future and the hope you have. So he says work like, words like sealed, guarantee, inheritance. Maybe your translation instead of guarantee says down payment. Who is the Holy Spirit? Someone say Holy Spirit. Maybe you grew up saying like Holy Ghost, right? And you're like, there's a ghost in here? Oh, I don't like that, right? The, the Holy Spirit is one of the ways that God has revealed himself to be a trinity, three persons, one God. And the Spirit is God's presence with us. This holy God that created everything, choosing intimately to be with you. In fact, Jesus said it, it would be better for him to leave his disciples so that he could send the Spirit because the Spirit was gonna be closer than even walking side by side. So if you're in him, if you're in Christ, if you've responded to the gospel, he says you were sealed. A seal, it's like, it's like a royal seal on a document saying this is complete, this is happening, my authority stands behind this. The Holy Spirit on you is proof, done, you're mine. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee or the down payment of our inheritance. Someone say inheritance. An inheritance is something you get when someone dies, right? We all clear with that, right? We don't do a lot of inheritance law stuff in, in our culture as much, but, but back in the first century, inheritance was a big deal. And actually, back in the first century, your position in the family determined what you would get and your gender determined what you would get. Paul has filled this section with language to this, this scattered group of believers saying, no, 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 you have a sealed, perfect inheritance, not based on your status, you've received this from God. And the Spirit, God with you, is a down payment of that inheritance. Y'all ever made a down payment? 
right? Yep. Okay, I bought a house, which is a very adult thing to do, right? And you have to cough up a lot of money for down payment, and yet you pay for years later, right? I don't even know if we're going to pay this thing off. Like, it is years into the future, and I'm coughing up all the money I have, like, everything out of my pockets, like pocket chains, like, here's a down payment for you, right? A down payment is the same kind of thing as what's coming, right? It just comes ahead of time. I'm, I'm going to keep giving money. I'm going to keep giving money. I'm going to keep giving money. It's proof that I'm in this thing, right? So, so the down payment of God in your life, if you're in Christ, is his presence. If a down payment is the same kind of thing as the things that are coming, the thing that is coming is more of the presence of God in your life. Okay, that sounds vague, right? When, when the apostle John receives this vision, this revelation of what, what the future will be like, he, he talks about this incredible, revived new heavens and new earth, and he says there will be no need for a temple there. There will be no need for a sun there because God's presence will be with us. The holy God of the universe that loved you before the foundation of the world, you will get to be close with him. You will never again feel like God is distant from you. You will never again feel fear or worry or shame or doubt or guilt. God's presence will be with you and right now, right now through the spirit he is with you already to provoke you and remind you of those things. That you have an inheritance coming. That you are an adopted child. That that he loves you. That's your future based on who he says you are. The Spirit will remind you of truth. The Spirit will gift you and equip you for the mission of God. But more than that, he just wants to set your eyes on Jesus and say, hey, the day is coming when you will be close to him. Okay, the top and the bottom of the chiasm, the Father and the Spirit at work. In the Father, we know we are fully known and fully loved. And in the Spirit, you know you are guaranteed an unshakable future. Let's get to the middle. Let's get to the good stuff, right? The middle of the sandwich is the best part. Here we go. I'm gonna read verses seven through 12 for us again. In him, in Christ, in the beloved, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished. Let me say that word again. He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as the plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, in Christ, we've obtained the inheritance we just talked about, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, God, who works all things to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Before the foundation of the world, the God of the universe looked at you and loved you based on his character. Looking to the end of time, we know we have an unshakable hope and future based on God's down payment of the spirit. But but what happens in the middle? What happens with the sin and the junk and the fear and the shame in your life? What happens with all of those moments that you wish God didn't see even though you're fully known? Verse seven says we have redemption through Jesus' blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Friends, we, we have trespassed against God. We've used that term before. We've, we've crossed the boundaries he made for us. 
Even though God looked at us in love, even though he created all of nature to speak to his character and his attributes, we have run the other way from that God. Part of the reason we, why we have identity issues is we've run away from the one that gave us identity in the first place. That's not the abstract, that's your life today. Did you think a lustful thought that you would be ashamed if we put on the screen right now? Did you lie to try to impress somebody? Or, or try to diminish the, the things you've done? Did you, did you use somebody today? Maybe even just in a little way where you were, you were trying to feel better about yourself by putting them down or by getting something from them. All of us have trespassed against this holy God. If we didn't have this chunk in the middle, actually the, the front and the back would feel hollow because when, because when you look at the reality of the sin in your heart, it is, it's huge. Like the, the wave that we experience of identity should actually be a wave of judgment. If you guys saw the, the stuff in my life, in my heart, and my past, if that was put on the screen, the wave I would deserve would be, would be judgment. But what Jesus did, what the Son did, what, what the, the, the interworking of the Trinity's action, what God is doing is forgiving and redeeming according to the riches of his grace. Like, redeeming through his blood, not through your work, not through your sorrow, not through you, you feeling bad enough about the stuff you've done. No, Jesus was a sacrifice once for all to wash you clean. The reason you can stand in the Father's love, adopted in his family, is because of the work of the Son. The love of God was made manifest in the person of Christ, dying and coming to life to give you forgiveness and life with God. Even as we, as we walk through what the whole Trinity has done, it, it, it points to the person of Jesus and this good news because what he has done is foundational to who we are. Jesus' finished work makes us who we are. We're redeemed people. We're, we're adopted people. We're loved people. He's lavished his grace on you. I, I just want to put a list of the things God has done on the screen. I just want you to see for a second. Okay, those are very small because there's a lot of them, right? All of those things are, are what our passage tells us God has done. In a passage with, with no applications, no commands for you to go start living out, first it says this is what God did for you. And as you're soaking that in, just the, the only things that our passage says about our response is that we hoped in Christ. It says that we, we believed this good news, that we were sealed, that we, we received. Fundamental to your identity is as a recipient. We receive an identity, we don't achieve an identity from God. Why would God do this? Like, why would the God of the universe go through all of that trouble for people like you and me? Our passage tells us he did this for the praise of his glory. 
It says three times in verse 6 and 12 and um, 14 that all of this is to the praise of his glory. What he's saying is that your life is a canvas. Your life is, is a canvas and God is painting his attributes and his goodness and his kindness and his love all over your life. In those parts where you're afraid to accept his love or afraid to be known by him, he wants to paint for the world to see his character and goodness all over you. He wants you to receive the wave, the wave of his bounty. Like I can't get over that word lavished, right? I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking of him look at your life and go, man, grace, kindness, love, I'm for you, and, and all of this in and through Christ. Verse nine, it says, he's made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose. This is his purpose, this is his plan for your life. It's a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, in Christ. Things in heaven and things on earth. You and I are part of this universe-wide story of his redemption. So what do we do about that? Like in a passage with no applications and how-tos, do I just end the message and walk off stage now? Like, and what about those places in life where, where you might have even known some of these terms and phrases and actually you still, you still struggle to obey? If we said who you think you are shapes what you do and we, we still find ourselves with a doing problem, how does this truth come home to that? For one thing, I think some of us in here fundamentally, I, I don't know if you have this identity. Like that, that's, not, that's not me saying I determine who God loves and who doesn't, but I, I'm saying you've never accepted the gift of grace offered in Jesus. Like the only stuff we do in this is, is you hear the word of truth, you believe and you receive. You haven't actually believed and trusted in Jesus. You haven't let God knock you off your feet with the wave of his love. Would you tonight just let yourself be, be taken by him? Will you let yourself be loved and, and lavished upon by the God of the universe? Would you look at Jesus and, and trust him and say, I'm going to depend on what you have done for me, not what I could do for myself. I'm gonna accept the free gift of grace that you're offering. I'm gonna accept life with God forever and payment for my sins. Will you do that tonight and, and enter into this wave of redemption that God is bringing? I think for others, when you hear terms like loved, chosen, redeemed, all of that, maybe you have this instinct, this guard up where you go, I don't think I'm worthy. Like, I, maybe you've even accepted Christ, but along the way, you, you struggle with your sin so much that that you've let it become part of your identity. You go, God, I don't know how you could love a person like me. I don't know if I'm worth love from you, God. You know how deep this goes. God, how could you ever love a person like me? Friends, fundamentally what you're doing is you're telling God who he's allowed to love. And you're saying, no God, I, I know you created me. I know you see me. I, I know you're powerful, but trust me, I'm too far gone. You don't know better than God. You don't know the bounds of God's love and you're not too far gone. If God chooses to love you, if he is showing his grace to you, 
would you just surrender? Like, would you just shut up with the excuses for why God can't love you and let him love you? Would you let Jesus extend his kindness to you? He didn't shed his blood for no reason for you. He loves you and he wants you to experience that love. Will you put your guard down? Will you stop telling yourself you're not worthy, telling yourself that lie, that identity lie, and let him tell you who you are? Tonight, would you just accept what he's telling you about who you are and stop saying you're not worthy? Maybe, maybe for others of us, you could read through this list, you've read through this list before, and, and you kind of know it should move you. Like, you kind of know it should wow you, but it's, it's lost its wow factor. You, you've heard these things so many times that they've become, they've become common to you. They're pedestrian. And so I can talk about the love of God, and you're like, yep, check it off the list. God loves me. That's sweet. Can I get going now? What a sad place to be. What a sad place to be that, that we could be so, so used to holy things that we forget how powerful God is and is working. In fact, what might be going on in our hearts is actually we don't have a big enough view of God's holiness and our sin. Like you might be so used to, to feeling like you're, you're maybe a step better than some other people like you've, you've got it together a little bit better than some other people, that you actually aren't surprised that God loves you because you kind of think you deserve it. You kind of think like, yeah, I'm living a good enough life unlike some people. I've got it together. Of course it makes sense for God to show his grace to me. You would never say it like that. But fundamentally, when we begin to, to lose our awe, our sense of the size of the gospels because we're minimizing our sin, and minimizing the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Tonight, would you repent of that? Would you actually invite God to let you feel conviction, not for someone else's junk, but actually for your sin and for your struggle? Will you let him knock you off your feet with how much you need grace and how much he's lavished that on you? Not how how bad other people are doing, but, but actually that you were in need of redemption. You were dead in your sins and you needed a savior and we have a good savior. Here's the truth. In Christ, you have a secure identity. In Christ, you have a stable identity. In Christ, you have a sure future and hope. God has accomplished it and and what he has done, no one can undo. So, So, let me just give you a word of application from this. I think we need to remember this stuff. Like, I think we need to fight to fill our minds and our hearts with this truth. Maybe what you need to do is grab hold of one of these verses and memorize it. Like, write it on your mirror at home or, or put it in your, on your dashboard. Memorize this stuff and, and let what God says about you become more, more of what you say about yourself. Again, not, not assuming we could achieve it or earn it, but accepting it, receiving it. Let him tell you who you are and tell yourself who you are based on what he's done. You might even as a connection group want to memorize a chunk of this passage and text each other and remind each other of this truth going over and over it together. Or maybe this is another place that shows up when you're confessing sin or when someone confesses sin to you, don't first go to performance, behavior, willpower, discipline, right? That, that's going back to the same old trap we've been to but, but go first to identity. Okay, you're a redeemed person because of what Jesus has done, not what you could ever do. 
You have been forgiven and freed by his blood. That's who you are. We need to practice that together so we don't fall back to the same old traps. What's one place, maybe you even need to write this down tonight, what's one sin that you've been defining yourself by or one struggle you've been defining yourself by in life that you need to speak this truth to? I'm no longer who I used to be. I'm no longer marked by those things. I'm adopted. I'm, I'm called God's child and I'm, I've got a secure future. Imagine what would happen. Like, like imagine what would happen if a room full of people like us began to have a secure identity like that. Like imagine how that would affect the kinds of friendships we would have people outside of this place. Imagine how that would change the way that we fight sin together in, in connection groups in our own lives. Imagine, imagine the impact that would have on your campus if you walked around stable and sure and confident. Not because you had swagger, not because you, you thought you were better than other people, but because you had a confidence in what God says about who you are that could never be shaken. I think God would overwhelm us with opportunities to share the good news of the hope that we have. I think we would be inundated with people just leaning in, looking, going, what do you have? What do you have that I don't have? I've been spinning my wheels, working so hard for it. What do you have? I think we would find more opportunities to share with boldness the hope that we have the good news. There's a Savior. There's a God that loves you, that has known you before the foundation of the world and has a, a sure story to the end of time. And it's all found in Christ and who we are in him. We're gonna respond to this good news, this wave in worship. And guys, I, I, want, I want us to worship like loved people. Like I, I want us to worship like adopted people. I want us to worship like blessed people. I want us to worship like people that the God of the universe has seen and guaranteed an inheritance and he's given us a down payment of his spirit. I want us to worship like that kind of people. So, so that might mean you raising your hands. That might mean you singing louder than usual even if you're off key. That'll be fine. That's cool with me. But, but maybe that will mean you actually being in your seat and rehearsing some of these things and praying through some of these things and speaking these things to the, the places of your heart that need them. In fact, you might even need to grab a friend from Connection Group, grab a Connection Group leader or staffer and invite them to pray with you through some of the parts of your heart where you find this hard to believe or through that struggle that you've been defining yourself by. We're, we're gonna have three songs that I'm gonna pray for us. Actually, band, you guys can come on up for me. Um, we're gonna have three songs that, and will you wish with me worship like the kind of people that we've been called in this passage. Let's pray. God, before the foundation of the world, you chose to love us. Before we could ever offer you anything, before we could ever give you anything, before we could ever prove anything, you looked at us and you chose to love us based on your character and not what we could ever do. And your character will never change and so your love will never go away. Your love will never diminish, it will never fade, it will never, it will never leave us. Jesus, we have redemption in your blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. You have washed us clean and made us new people.
We've been included in your death and your resurrection by your power, and now we're adopted to be co-heirs with you of this inheritance that you deserve, that we don't deserve. Spirit, you are the the down payment, you are the guarantee that, that the presence of God will never leave us, and you're with us now. You're not hiding, you're not far away, you're not waiting for one day when we get our act together. Spirit, you are with us when we are in Christ, you are in us promising us a future hope, convicting us of the people that you're inviting us to be, sending us out to be witnesses. God, please help us to worship like that's true. Please help that identity to hit the places of our hearts it hasn't yet and help us to live, live like who you say we are. Who we are in you is gonna shape how we live. Make that more true even as we worship together tonight. I pray in your name, amen.